just dispatch. There's a little bit of a change there. You're used to looking at your board and you're like, hey, I know that Jim, he works five days a week. All of a sudden now it's like, oh, geez, Jim's not on Wednesday and Thursday. And I need to get a return visit with Jim or... In this episode, I've got Corey Hickman of Comfort Matters joining me on the show today. His company recently, a little over six months ago, shifted to a four-day work week for their employees. We talk about what inspired him to make that shift, the procedures and problems that arose or the procedures that needed change and the problems that arose when he made that shift and how that's ultimately impacting his business. So a lot of good stuff from Corey. And then towards the end of the episode, we jump into marketing a little bit in Facebook ads, email marketing, and then a good chunk on what he's doing with direct mail. So lots packed into this awesome episode. Before we jump into it, I got to tell you, if you're not already a member, go join our Home Pro Sales and Marketing Lounge Facebook group. It's an awesome collaborative resource. We're all in there. All the talk on sales and marketing of home service businesses. Now, let's jump into it with Corey Hickman. Corey, man, welcome to the Home Pro Success Show. Thanks for having me here. All right. If you guys haven't caught on, my name's Corey. My guest name is Corey. He operates an HVAC company in the Minneapolis area. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What's your company like today? I mean, how large are you? What you know, your target market is? Give us a kind of quick you know, two-minute overview of what your company is and what it does. Okay. Yeah, no. So... Comfort Matters Heating and Cooling. So when I started it here, I was 14, I guess, 14 years ago now. We had the pure goal of being a replacement specialist. I was seeing a lot of opportunity where there's construction companies, but there's nobody really good with quality service, taking care of customers at the time of hours they need and so forth. So we are purely residential. Replacement is 85% of our business. Remaining balance, maybe 15% is probably commercial replacement and service. And we currently run... I think right now it's seven, about seven, seven technicians doing service and maintenance. And then there's two and a half install crews that are taking care of our replacement install. So how many does that total up to an employee count roughly? So with technician wise, we'd be, that's probably 10, 11 technicians. And then, you know, there's another uh, with, sale, with our home advisors and then office staff comes up to around 2021. Okay. So a little over 20. Now, one thing I heard there, you know, that's kind of different from most residential service contractors is you're doing a lot of replacement, whereas a lot of residential service contractors are taking quite a few service calls and then trying to sell the replacement. So it sounds like you're kind of going right for a new system replacement up front without the service call step in a lot of cases. Am I hearing that right? We'll do both. Depends on the time of the year. So I'm in Minnesota. Our temperatures are extreme. We have obviously winter that's extremely cold. You're going to be well below zero. Mm-hmm. And at summer, you know, we're not Florida, but we're still going to hit, you know, we're going to be in the 90s, maybe 100 here, there. Wow. Very humid. So we got to kind of hit both ends, but then we hit our shoulder seasons where the weather's... And everybody's just leaving their windows and doors open and totally comfortable. So in those times of the year, we target heavy for replacement. We do direct marketing specifically after replacement business. And actually, so in the past, March was probably one of our slowest times of the year, period. It's now probably some of our higher profitable times, actually, because we target all replacement. It tends our average ticket goes up quite a bit because we have a lot of system replacements instead of just AC or just furnace type of stuff. Interesting. So, yeah, you're targeting different services based on the season, essentially, is what you're Correct. doing there. Yeah. So we're going to be heavy and right now we're heavy in maintenance because it's a great easy way to bring on new customers is through maintenance. Okay. So... You know, flashback, how long ago did you start Comfort Matters? So 14 years ago, I was myself. I worked for a distributor. Actually, I started dealing with a manufacturer and their engineering for training engineering down in La Crosse, Wisconsin. 
and then went and spent 12 years, I think, with a, a wholesale distributor. So called on a lot of different companies from new construction, commercial, residential, and seen what was working and seen a lot of things that weren't working. And that's what kind of finally led me to moving this out on my own and, and going for it and seeing what we could do to uh, build our own thing. Pulled the trigger, jumped in back then 14 years ago. So I put you in at 2005 after, yeah. if I did the math correctly, well, I know you said 12 years in one kind of one area. And then I think a few years in another. So 15 years, pulled the trigger in 20, 2015. I was going to say 2005, 14 years ago, said, hey, I'm done with this stuff. I'm off on my own. Yep. And it was a literally, I was working as a territory manager. I went to an auction. I bought a truck and went in, turned in my notice two weeks, went down to the state, got a, whatever, a, a company name, a registration or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And also built a new house at the same time. <laughs> I'd never get a loan for a while once I started the business. So yeah. <laughs> I was building and that was it. We were live and went for it. Yeah, it seems like you experienced the same thing here. But I know that when you're a business owner, it is really weird. It's really hard to get mortgages. And I often find that it is easier. I see some of my employees, you know, they get mortgages because I have to, you know, sometimes sign off on some documentation or very verification for that. But it is easier for them to get a mortgage than it is for me just because they've, you know, they're an employee. It, it's, I, I find it the weirdest thing, whereas, you know, essentially their job is reliant on me. If I don't have any income, they don't have a job. But at the same time, you know, it's significantly harder for me to actually borrow. It's one of the kind of upside down things of being a business owner. Tons of paperwork we have to turn over. Yes. <laughs> you know, taxes of this, tax copy of that, many pages. So you, you seen what, well, you knew what you were going to do. So you got the mortgage, you know, real quick there, figured it was going to be a few rough years, you know, where you where you would have, you know, difficulty documenting, documenting income, maybe living off savings and stuff. So got it. So yeah, pretty good move there. So over the 14 years, let me ask this, what has kind of been the biggest eye opener, the biggest thing that if you knew now you would go back in time and do differently from day one? You know, it's, there's a lot of times it's just, don't be scared to make a decision, you know, and to move forward. Mm-hmm. There's always a lot of times in the past where there was a lot of hesitation or maybe overanalyzing something. So you were one of those people that just kind of were like, you know, I need to get all the data. I need more data. And then I need to look at the numbers and then they still aren't conclusive. So I don't know what to do. So I'm going to do nothing. Is that kind of where you were at? That would happen. And then the other probably one huge thing was, and I hear this over and over, it has to do with planning. And what would happen, of course, I'd be really busy. We'd be, well, I started literally servicing and installing and then slowly transition out of that. But I'd be busy, busy, busy. Money's good, work is good. And then I'd wear myself out, I'd get tired, and then all of a sudden everything would slow up and I'd go, oh wow, I need to do marketing now. Too bad, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I should have started the marketing a month ago. And I would ride that roller coaster. Then I get real slow. So I'm gonna have to work real hard to get things going again. Then I get busy and just up and down every year. So what did you do to kind of get beyond that? Or are you still working to get beyond that? Is that still, you know, just kind of a, you know, natural personality flaw? I know I, I have my own flaws in management and leadership that I'm still working beyond. We all do. Kind of where do you stand on that now? Is that something you're able to, you know, kind of fit in and work around and overcome? Or that's still something that kind of plagues you? No, well, a com- combination of things. I'd say we're way advanced over that. Probably the biggest things were some business mentors, working with that on a regular basis. It's kind of, if you want to call it an accountability partner in a way, Mm -hmm. but somebody on a weekly basis that's, I'm kind of answering back and forth and we share it equally. It's not that one's superior to the other. We just talk equally on that and reminding. So by doing that, we're constantly reminding ourselves, remember last summer when you complained because you didn't have enough tax. Remember last summer when you complained, you didn't do marketing early enough. 
internet's been nice because we can turn things on and off faster. Of course, yeah. So that's been interesting. Facebook, we can shoot things up. Google local services or whatever that's called now, you can turn it on and off my phone in a heartbeat. So that's been helpful. And then having a good direct mail plan put together and having partners, right? Just now I can I can shoot an email that says, start mailing now. And two days, the piece is already pre-designed and it's going out. So most of the stuff, at least, you know, from what I'm hearing there is, marketing related that you're, you know, you're kind of trying to plan the marketing up ahead of time so that, you know, when you're, when these opportunities hit or when these time comes, you're not reactive, you are proactive. Yep. And then hiring is obviously a big piece with that. Yeah. You know, finding conditions and qualifying into our trades. Nice. Now I know you guys recently switched to a four day work week that has to impact hiring in some way, but kind of give me an overview of why you thought that would be a good idea. Where, where what was your thought process at? The reasoning behind it was two pieces. Two and almost three. One was we experienced technician burnout. When they were on call and the tech was on call for five or seven, one or seven days in a row, they would tend to get burned down. They get a little ornery, get a little bit crabbier with the dispatchers and that kind of stuff would happen. And then the, the worst part was, so they'd be, they get burned down over that week. And then the next week they seem to be crabbier almost because it was like, well, I put in my time last week. So now I'm coasting a little bit this week. Yeah. So in a way, it turned out to be almost a two-week effect. So that was one big piece. The other piece is we're trying to bring new people into the industry. We're trying to say, hey, you don't need to go to a four-year college to do this. The trades are amazing. The income's great. And it's a fun place to work. So by going to the four-day work week, we're trying to give more time off because a lot of our newer generation that we're heading, time off has got more value than money. Yeah. Because it didn't matter. We've got technicians, you know, you can be 25 years old, single and making very good money. They don't need more money. They don't need overtime. They don't, they don't want it. Mm -hmm. We got to find what they want and time off of that. So this was essentially a move to become the place that people want to work at. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing to go with it too, is for our customers. So we got a lot of customers, of course, work full weeks, full days, and we need to be able to offer service later in the day. So we want to be able to have our phones answered live, you know, with in the office, the staff running later in the night, you know, till well, our goal was 8 p.m. We wanted to be open fully on Saturdays. So we're running standard maintenance, demand calls, everything's normal. But in order to do that, if you have, say, you got whatever many technicians, one, two, five, or 10, you can't make them work from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Cause that's just not going to work six days a week. No, <laughs> so figure it out. So that's when we started doing split schedules and working 10 hour shifts. Got it. Got it. So kind of, let's jump into that. We got a kind of high level overview. What did the tech schedule look like beforehand versus now? So you had them, well, I mean, how much, you know, how many hours a week were they on call? Just kind of give me the overview of what a typical tech schedule looked like before you went to this four day work week and we'll kind of, you know, get more in the nitty gritty of what it looks like now. So before it was, Pretty typical Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. And you know, start at 7.30-ish, usually with training. And they would be done. Well, if it was busier time, it wasn't uncommon. They weren't done till 5, 6 o'clock. Yeah. Well, they were working pretty long days. And then if you were the on-call guy, it wouldn't be uncommon. You'd possibly have one or two calls after that. And then, unfortunately, we'd have to have a backup on-call guy in case yep. something failed. The on-call guy. So, <laughs> Since you weren't only on call one week, you were on call two weeks. Yeah. You're the backup one week and the other guy. And so whatever, they would probably typically work real regularly 
42 to 50, 55 hours a week. It was probably kind of that range, very normally. Mm-hmm. And then Saturdays was purely on call and Sundays was purely on call. And it was getting to the point where Saturdays were pretty normal. You were going to, you're probably going to get one, two calls for sure. Yeah. There, there was a high demand for Saturday. It was basically like, Hey, you're on call. You're really going to be working. We all know that. Yeah. Yep. And it kind of came to that, like, you know, you're working Saturday already. <laughs> normal schedule. Yeah. So that was kind of where it was at as far as hours. So now what, now what is it looking like now? Well, I guess you've got, you're still getting there at 7.30, four days a week, not five plus the one on call, but really working sixth day of the week. So you're getting there at 7.30 a.m., is that correct? So now usually what's happening is we have an early guy and they're usually starting typically 7.30, usually for training at least three days a week. And then the other two, maybe 8 a.m. But So they're going to start at 7.30, 8 o'clock, and they're going to be done by six. There's going to be another person that's not going to start till 10 in the morning and they're going to work till 8 p.m. So that's the late shift guy and the on-call guy. So he's going to work till 8 p.m. And then if there are additional on-calls situations or whatever, he's going to be the person to take care of them. But of course, he gets to start a little bit later the next morning. Gotcha. Okay. So you got the two separate shifts in there to kind of, well, keep everybody. It seems like you're trying to keep everybody right at 40 hours a week. It's what, well, so this is one of the learning curves that we kind of, expected and knew in a way it almost did reduce some hours and put them closer to 40. Mm-hmm. So now if you had whatever, if you had technicians working 50 hours a week on average, and now they're only working 40 hours a week on average, you just lost 10 hours of productivity time. Yeah. So you have to try to account that into your, your pricing and your cost structure, because in a way it actually kind of reduced our time. We kind of hoped a little bit that guys would once in a while say, Hey, I'm a little bored and I'll take some extra calls tomorrow on my fifth day because I got nothing to do in the morning and they're not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I clocked my 40 hours. I'm out going fishing here. Yeah, it's pretty funny how that works, but it's, now the schedule is not real clear, meaning you just don't work four days and you're done. There's a five week cycle they go through. And so you may work two days in a row and then have two off. You may work three days in a row and have one off. You may have four days in a row off. You could have actually, I think up to five days in a row off. So guys start to get pretty smart about planning their weekends and their vacations. So like there may be a day where they're not working Friday or Monday. And so they will be off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So it'll be a four day stretch where they're just off. Well, that's when they're going to go to the cabin. That's when they're going to go fishing or whatever their sport. So they can start to plan around that. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess you'd have to have that because there's not, well, there's not eight days in a week. There's only seven. So there's going to have to be some type of overlap. So when you switch to this and you're essentially reducing hours, I'm guessing you had to pick up some more staff to kind of fill it. Well, so that's what we're trying to figure out if we had to on that. Now we were planning to add staff no matter what. So it didn't actually force us to, when we set it up, we, on a five week rotation. So we were able to basically need five guys to manage that rotation. And then as we added people, we just doubled the days up. So it's just two people would mirror each other. Mm-hmm. So technically you could go to 10 guys, nothing changes. And then you just always added more people to each day. One thing we didn't change, we did not change our install. We kept them on a five day schedule because install got a little difficult because say if they have an air conditioner only job, mm-hmm. they can start at eight o'clock. They may be done by 1130. What are you going to do for the next, you know, that one, well, you could probably fit in another job. Yeah. But if you have a full system, they may be done at 2.30 in the afternoon. Now what do you do? 
Yeah. And they only worked six hours. They lost four. So install, we didn't find a way to do it. Right now, we're just leaving it alone at the five-day schedule. So the install guys are at the five-day schedule. Are they also starting primarily at the earlier time, 7.30? They're usually probably here closer to 6. Okay, yeah. So you're, you're getting them out the door fast and easy, yeah. Yeah, they're usually here by 6, 6.30, you know, unloading the truck, loading back up for that day, and then going out. And depending on what they're doing, you know, usually say a full system install or something like that, they're going to be done anywhere from 2 to two to four o'clock in the afternoon, they're generally going to be done by. Right on, right on. So, I mean, you've done this. Well, how long ago was it that you kind of switched to this system? So October Mm -hmm. was our switchover. And one of our other goals that I had when this process was starting, and we're not completely there yet, but it was a piece of it, is we're looking to create a operation where our technicians are never on call. And that we believe is going to be very interesting the result of where it rolls out but it will change the i mean people wanted to work here yeah because the biggest things we hear is they don't like being on call the on-call thing i mean yeah that's a total pain in the ass for anyone you know i mean for us as business owners we're kind of like well we're always on call but it's exactly. also it's also our business you know we we reap the rewards of being on call it doesn't you know translate as lucrative you know, for most employees, they're not building an asset. It's not their name behind it. So it doesn't necessarily carry over. So going forward, you know, I think, are you guys planning to just stay busy so much to where it's like you're always on call or not always on call, but you don't, you don't even need anyone on call. You're just, you just have so many customers coming in that, you know, you're going to fill them. That's exactly kind of the goal where it came down to. That's why so we, we need to extend our hours because we can't be a no on call company and turn our phone off at four in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not going to fly. So by extending our standard hours, and the biggest thing is not really it's the on-call work that they dislike, it's the unpredictability. Yeah. They don't like, I don't know if I got one call or seven. Yeah. You usually don't know either. You know? Yeah. But if we're planning and marketing around it, they have more understanding of what they're going to get. And I mean, heck, we value them. I mean, tech, without technicians, what are we? That's what we are. You know, yeah. it's value their service. So we want to try to create and build something that's things have changed. Times have changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone expects things on demand. Now, how close are you to getting to the point of not being on call? I'm guessing, you know, based on the hours you said, you've still got to keep some techs on call. Right. So we currently do. I, we are hoping and expecting we are going to be running a no on call service this month yet. So before July. Before July, no on call. We're that close. What else has had to change in your business to get to the point of, or not, you know, or as you approach the point, I guess, of not having anyone on call? Well, having, there's a lot of pieces that go, I guess, around it, but just literally figuring out a scheduled rotation out, just dispatch. Um, there's a little bit of a change there. You're used to looking at your board and you're like, hey, I know that Jim, he works five days a week. Also, now it's like, oh, geez, Jim's not on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. And, I need to get a return visit with Jim or they have to think a little bit harder, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not per, but they didn't like that. But when we said, Hey, you're going to have text available to eight o'clock at night, dispatch is super happy about that because it's so much easier for them to schedule when they have long hours or when you can say, Hey, you're going to schedule Saturdays. That makes their job 
better on that part of it. Yeah, but at the same time, there's a lot going on. And I mean, as you're describing that, I'm kind of comparing it to my own dispatch board. We do, you know, have a service segment in my own company here, but we are fixed, you know, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. essentially. And everybody's on a five day work week. So it's just basically we have two slash two and a half, depending on time of the year, people that just do service. For our dispatchers, all we have to do is look at those two names and we've, uh, you know, we've adjusted them. So they're right at the top of our, you know, of our actual operational calendar. You can just see exactly what's going on and you don't really have to kind of do much thinking, just kind of plug and play, look for the opening when he's in that area type of thing. And the CRM actually kind of assists with that. In your case, you know, it could be like, oh, you know, well, here's Jim. Boom. Now we can't use Jim this day. You know, let's look at somebody else. That's definitely a, I can see being that, that being a hiccup. I'll say that for the, for the dispatchers. And so a big one that we run into is multi-visit calls. So say, you know, tech goes out there, he finds this widget wrong. And if you're going to return another day to complete the repair, it's very hard because ideally you'd like the same guy to do it. Yeah, that's something I didn't even think of. I mean, naturally, right. you want the same guy back out there. Things just go much smoother. You guys are probably going to be sending out different people. Yep, you may have a different person. So basically where it comes down to our goal is then get the same, get the repaired on the same day. So we utilize a lot of courier services. So let's say he needs parts and we're lucky we're in a major metro. We have lots of wholesalers. And we carry a, a decent inventory production at our office. But if we can courier the part to the job and get it fixed right away, or maybe we send them to another job. Meanwhile, the courier gets fired up and gets parts moving. Yeah. And then back around and gets back to that same customer to finish his job. That's one piece that helps alleviate some of that pain. Now, you say courier service. Is this you know an actual third-party company? Is this the wholesalers? Or is this just somebody on staff that you have you know, running around handling these? So we've done it a couple different ways. We used to have a, a courier. We'd have a one, two, three hour window. It wasn't the cheapest in the world. And then this thing came along called Uber. <laughs> it revolutionized a lot of stuff. So we started using Uber. So we would, we would just send Uber to our wholesaler. They'd pick up the part, take it to the house. The cost was a fraction of price and it was fast because there's always a car somewhere close to the wholesaler. Yeah. So we were doing that and that worked well and we still use it. And then we had a company locally that decided to actually start their own Uber, if you want to call it, they call it dispatch, but it's strictly built around for contractors. So they specifically running parts for contractors. And it's funny, the driver shows up at your shop and it's got a Lyft or an Uber sticker in the window. So it's the same people. Yeah. They're just using the same. Yeah. But these guys are a little bit more geared to know that they're going to go to a shop some Uber drivers are a pain, like they wouldn't want to get out of their car. Yeah. You know, the wholesaler have to bring the part out to them, but it changed things huge and it saved us so much money. Wow. That, that is nifty. I never thought of using Uber in that sense. And I've never thought of kind of pulling it into business, but that makes total sense. You got Uber running around doing that. The other service is what you said, dispatch. Is that just their name? Yep. That's a company that's kind of, I think they may be just local to Minnesota right now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's owned by one of our actual suppliers, but. And all they do is just move around items for contractors like that and they have no like that that service they actually have vans so you can actually drop a furnace in that was gonna be yeah that was gonna be my next question do they have you know ladders is there kind of a size and weight limit on it yeah they will run so dispatch runs regular vans you know just full-size vans so whatever you fit a full-size van you're good you know if you're gonna have a 20-foot stick of copper you're gonna have to cut it in pieces yeah but the cost is like i said it's a fraction i mean i can send a part across town for $17 or $23 and it's mm-hmm. there in like, well, 
depending on traffic. Depending on traffic, 10 minutes to 40 minutes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But before, you know, you could have in the upwards of three hours with a typical courier service. The tech can't just sit there and wait for three hours. No, no, no. And I mean, you know, on the flip side of that, sending the tech back to the office is a total for lack of a better term, total shit show because they, they leave the job half done. The customer's unhappy with that. The tech has to spend however many minutes going back across town. Then he decides he needs to stop at McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever he needs to do. Also need to fill the truck up with gas and they get back to the job site. They do 15 minutes worth of work and boom, it's the end of the day. Now the customer was already mad because they had to wait while the tech was gone and they see nothing happen. You've lost all that efficiency of having your tech run around. Techs, you know, let's just say on the low side are at 20 bucks an hour plus workers comp and payroll taxes. It will call that it's going to put you in the high 20s an hour. And that's on the low side. That's for, you know, kind of entry level tech at that. Three hours running around to transit this part is 60 bucks. You can have this Uber dispatch <laughs> deliver it for $17. It's a no brainer. And on the flip side of that, you're also not holding really any inventory. You, you're just kind of purchasing the inventory on a just in time schedule at that point. Yeah. And we're keeping mind of the wholesalers. We don't like to get our technicians into wholesalers. There's time wasted in there. There's just, there's recruiting that happens. <laughs> that's what I was waiting. There's poaching that's coming on in the wholesalers. Yeah. <laughs> no, we want to keep them away from there. Yeah. Keep them away from there. Man, that's some interesting stuff. How did you, I mean, was there any kind of point where you heard about this or is this just kind of something that came up? You're like, shit, we need to get this part across town. I got this Uber app here. Let's just send somebody from Uber to do it. Is that, that where you came up with this whole idea? I was at a service roundtable event somewhere. I don't remember where. And actually I still remember it was the company. It was Tiger Heating out of St. Louis. I was talking to them and they're like, yeah, we tried using Uber and it works good. I'm like, huh, that's a good idea. Huh, I'm going to do that too. Yeah. And I like Rob and Replicate, you know, if it's got a good idea, I'm going to try it. Yeah. And it worked and that was years ago and we've been active with it till today. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> uh, somebody on my podcast, it was Keith Neff. What was he said? He said, uh, what was it? He said, this, I think the same thing about Rob and Duplicate there, R&D, mm-hmm. you know, R&R. or RR. Yeah. No, there's no more research and development. It's just rob and duplicate i think or something to that effect i kind of like that that stuck out in my head there yep hey there's lots of stuff that we don't need to really reinvent and a lot of people will share yeah no let's kind of shift gears a little bit here because we've been talking all about the four-day work week which every time i hear that i think in my head about the four-hour work week which we all know does not exist yeah i'm sure you've heard of that book out there Mm -hmm. the four-hour work week yeah so anyways, shifting gears from the four-day work week, which has done quite well for your company, it sounds like. It doesn't sound like you're kind of saying any problems at this point, eight months into it. What are you doing in terms of kind of marketing? Anything offline marketing? I talk a lot about online marketing. Let's hear you know, what you got up your sleeve there in offline. So as far as offline stuff, direct mail is probably one of our most successful pieces that we go after. So typically, we're usually going to be marketing for maintenance, you know, maintenance and tune-ups, mm-hmm. heating or cooling, depending on season. But that's definitely our, our primary thing. I'm actually playing with some EDDM, the whatever every door direct mail. Yeah. Right now, just launched some pieces here this week to to see whatever, just playing with it. But the one of the biggest things I know I found in direct mail was I had to get away from the really fancy, color, pretty kind of postcards. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that's developed by manufacturers. And the more color and the more glitz and glamour, the less success I had. So what are you having success with? That's the burning question. So it's usually going to be something pretty basic. It's probably going to be 
simple black type of print. It's going to be, you know, maybe just small postcards or letters. Letters have still been very successful. For when you us. say letters, how big of a document is that? Is that eight and a half by 11? Eight and a half by 11, typically. And it's usually going to be two pages, possibly three pages. And what I've learned is when people go to their mailbox, they grab their stack of mail and they walk in the kitchen and they make piles. <laughs> One pile says, here's a bill. The next pile says, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to open it. And the next pile is the garbage can. Yes, absolutely. I do the exact same thing. Once a week, I get my mail. Yeah. And the fancy color one, you know, fear, you know, is marketing. Period. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're interested, you may look, but if you're not, it's going in the garbage. When you send something that's a little bit more generic, black and white kind of looking stuff, or even a, could be a letter in an envelope, that's the, I don't know what this is. I'm going to need to open it up. Now that's all I need them to do. I need them to open it. And I expect, yes. 99 and a half out of a hundred people are going to throw it in the garbage can after they open it. Mm -hmm. That's my expectation. That's just what it is, but they're going to open it and then they're going to see the word air conditioning or something like that. Probably I'm going to catch your attention or I'm not mm -hmm. depends on if they're in the market, but if I make it to the garbage pile before it got to their hands, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. So you got to get them to open it. What kind of response rate are you getting there on the direct mail? And I guess a follow-up question here, going back to the letters that you just mentioned, are you sending them? I see some people that actually have kind of like, it's an eight and a half by 11 and it's almost out of like a postcard material. So it's a letter and it's mostly text on there, but it's, you know, it comes in a full size thing. Are you sending a letter like that? Or are you sending letter that's tri-folded and in an envelope, like a letter letter that we all think yep. of? Yeah. The letters would be a letter, like you said, trifolded in a white envelope. And that would be the letter style. We've done postcard with text font, like you're talking about. Actually, the, the EDDM we're doing right now, I don't know the results yet because it just went, but that's an eight and a half by 11. Honestly, the biggest postcard I've ever seen. And it does have a lot of text font on it. So we're going to see where the, where the results of that comes in. It does have a little bit of color, which is abnormal. We've got another direct mail program we've been running. What we do is we take people that are have spent, I think it's $500 or less with us in the last three years, and we put them on a, a program where we're hitting them four times a year, uh, the direct mail piece, an email piece if we have email. And then if we can tie them to Facebook, we may connect through some Facebook ads. Yep. That's that. And it's just going to repeat once a quarter. And if we change the message, depending on season. And our hope is to recapture and get these people back in. And so far, it's actually, it's been definitely creating some, some response out of it. And been able to analyze to see if the dollars are better than the, you know, the return on investments there yet. Yeah. And stuff people back. Yeah. Looking. So we do something similar to that in my own company. We don't have the direct mail piece, but we do a lot with the email marketing and then subsequently hitting them on Facebook as well. And that... That is awesome because we get, you know, customers that are sharing them and saying, oh, yeah, this was my company that did this, you know, a year, two, three years ago. We're getting those old customers like that that are sharing it. So we're perpetuating the referrals on that end. And then on the flip side of things, we're also kind of inspiring a lot of repeat business because we'll include pictures of our past projects, you know, projects that we're also completing and people are coming back and saying, oh, hey, you know, you did this for me. I didn't know you guys also do that. Could I have a quote? I've seen that out on Facebook. I've seen that in the email. It's been awesome kind of just tapping into our database of past customers. We also include our new leads in there. So that way, as soon as they are actually, you know, getting caught up in our system, boom, you know, they're seeing the Facebook ads, the email marketing, they already know, like, and trust us. They've seen our content. They've seen pictures of our staff and all that before we even show up for an estimate or before we show up for service. So it's doing quite well there. Going back to your, you know, 
mail pieces, are you kind of doing these in sequences? So are you sending these out to like, you know, 5,000 homes and then you'll do, you know, one a month or one a week? Are you changing the marketing message each week or each month? Or give me, give me a little bit more insight into that before we wind down here. We changed a lot actually on that piece. We used to, I mean, jump around different zip codes and things like that and try to pick out that target demographic. This is, goes back at least probably five years ago. We narrowed down to four zip codes. One's like super small. And we only mail to those zip codes. We are purely going for market domination in those zip codes. Yeah. And we now been throttling in a fifth one right now, but so we work really, really heavy on those. And I, we strategically placed a few billboards in the process. So they're around those zip codes in certain areas, but, and we're going to be hitting a, an address anywhere from, I don't know, three to six times a year with that, probably for sure on direct mail. And a lot of times the message won't change. I'm amazed on how many times we go out to a house for, let's say a replacement letter for a furnace or air conditioner. And that customer's got the letter from last year. <laughs> Yeah. They because they may not, they don't need it now, but they're like, well, it looks like this company has some good deals at different times. So when I'm ready, I'm going to call them. Yeah. And it's crazy how many people sit on old direct mail pieces. So, I mean, they, they find one that captures their attention. They're saving it, tacking it to the refrigerator, or, you know, in their pile of interest, you know, some people kind of do that. And then they're getting more, they're, they keep getting pieces and they keep seeing your name. And then they eventually go back to that one that they had, you know, saved. They keep saying, oh, that's the company I saved last week. That's the company I saved last year. And finally, when they're ready, boom, you remind them they've got something saved. And now they're going back to you. And it's largely the same type of content that you're sending. That's not widely varying. Oh, it'll be a lot of very, very similar pieces. And the other thing is, you know, I can mail the same house five letters for a, let's pretend a furnace replacement promo. If they're not in the market for the first four, they didn't even pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. But also the fifth time their furnace got old enough and they're like, oh, now it's interesting. Yeah. But then I believe a lot in branding at the same point, you know, great truck wraps and well-identified that and lots of yard signs and like I said, some billboard advertising and kind of marketing and blanketing that zip code area. Yeah, it, it, all, it all synergizes together. They see your ad and the that comes in the mail. Now, boom, hey, we've seen that truck. We recognize these people. You know, oh, hey, there they are again. It all just kind of pulls together into one big rolling ball of wax momentum. Some people think, you know, they, they chase around a metro. I mean, there's millions and millions of people in the Minneapolis metro. And like we talked earlier, traffic, you could spend all day driving across town in traffic to chase one lead. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how much business is in one zip code, you know. There's a lot of business in small I, I totally agree with you on that. And one other thing I'll add kind of here before we uh, you know, end this podcast is I think a lot of people, I'm sure you're going to agree with me, a lot of people try things, you know, they're kind of chasing silver bullets or shiny objects when it comes to this, you know, oh, we're going to try direct mail, you know, and we send off one round of direct mail, we get no response. That doesn't work. You know, direct mail's dead. It doesn't work anymore. We wasted money on that when really you have to be consistent and do this stuff for a few months and it just keeps growing and building. Like I said, you might send out one mailer, gets nothing. Same thing with Facebook ads. You put that out there, you get nothing. You know, you do it again, you might get a little something. You do it again, it gets better and then it gets better and then it gets better. Is that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm guessing that's what you've experienced with Without the direct mail. And I mean, we've been able to manage, you know, since 05 of start, every year we maintain a minimum, you know, low 20s up to 45% growth year over year. Wow. Even when the, you know, 
we know there's a recession coming, right? The market's going to take a downturn. Sooner or later, it's the law of large numbers. Yeah. I'm not that offended by it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm like running and loving it. But one thing that I've seen being in a home service business like we are, the second job, people's jobs become in jeopardy, they know they're going to invest in their house because they know they're not moving. And yeah, maybe they ain't going to go out and buy a new fishing boat, but they may be like, hey, guess what? This furnace is getting really old and we ain't moving for five more years. So I better just replace it. And I think we can carry through that kind of, that's the cool thing about heating and air conditioning business and many other service type of businesses. Yeah, you guys, I mean, one thing you guys have as an advantage over, you know, my trade where we're doing exterior work is you guys are 110% a necessity. When that AC works, when it doesn't, you know, when it's winter and it doesn't get, you know, get warm in the house, they're calling you. Like you, you can't delay that like you can, you know, something from, uh, you know, from my trade, but there's, there's always pluses and minuses to everything. I'm sure I've got a few little, you know, perks and benefits of operating in the trade that I do that you don't, but heating and AC, I say, you know, you guys are definitely recession proof there. Yeah. If, when the paint chips on your pool enclosure, it's not a panic mode on 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work on 4th of July. It's panic. You've got a problem. Yeah. All right, Corey. Well, thanks for joining me on the show today, man. That's a wrap. I was awesome having you on here. If any guests want to reach out, what's the best way of finding you? Facebook, email? Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, both are great. Facebook, you know, it's just Corey Hickman, I guess. And my email address is Corey, C-O-R-E-Y at comfortmatters.com. Sounds good. So we'll, we'll have you in the Facebook group. So if any of you guys are listening, come in the Facebook group, do an at tag me or at tag him. One of us Corey's and you know, we'll, we'll ping the other or whatever needs to be done. Answer any of your questions if you have any. On that note, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.